Brian Malik. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yes, I'm very excited to have this chat with you guys. Um, it will be centered around our Voice of the Advisor survey. But before we get to all that good stuff, uh, why don't you each take a moment to introduce yourselves? Sure. Um, my name is Brian Waldeva. I head up the digital wealth platform for Wealth360 at CGI. My name is Malik Mora, and I work with Brian, and I'm a product director for the digital wealth platform. Amazing. It's going to be a great conversation. So just to give everyone a bit of context, uh, for those of you who don't know about our Voice of the Advisor survey, it is a survey that we put out into market to collect feedback from advisors, uh, particularly because here at CGI, we have our digital wealth platform, a solution for advisors. But we've realized that um, even though we were creating technology for advisors, we weren't really hearing much from them. We didn't have their voice at the table. And we wanted to change that to make sure that we're incorporating their feedback and that we're delivering the technologies that are being demanded in the marketplace. And so that's how we started on our journey with VOA. It is our second year doing it. The results are in and we are here to discuss them. So you have both seen the Voice of the Advisor result, results that we tabulated. Um, I'm curious, like, do you, what are your initial responses? Was there anything that caught you off guard or piqued your interest a bit? Um, yeah, it was. You know, it was really great data that, that the team collected for sure. And I think the thing that surprised me but maybe didn't surprise me was that there's a lot about streamlining sort of everyday core processes that is still like I think it was like number two in, in the ranks for how much advisors wanted to see. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're still talking about <laughs> automating core processes. For for me, it was their perspective on on clients and how clients want more digital engagement. Uh, that that was one of the key key surprises for me. The other thing I found really interesting was advisors who actually spend time with their clients, educating them on on the digital ex experiences and engagement that are available. They are much more efficient and they have a much better offering. I thought that was that was very insightful. Absolutely, and. Uh, we're going to touch on both of those points uh, through this chat. Um, but Brian, to your point about uh, streamlining of uh, core activities, such as onboarding being number two, um, you know, uh, for me, that is, I, I think that would be a surprise for many people. I wasn't too surprised by it. Uh, and perhaps it's because I have that bias from my time in the industry. I remember that, you know, it, it was amazing how we thought that certain things could get done much more quickly, but they just didn't. And onboarding was one of those main pain points. But uh, I think it's a good place to begin. So we learned that the top three things advisors want are one, integration between their technologies, two, streamlining of core activities such as onboarding, and three, streamlining of investment management um, processes. So when you hear this, what are your thoughts and what do you think is occurring for them to, you know, really highlight those three key areas. Yeah, it's funny. You know, the way I think about it is like you see a bunch of like people trying to start a fire and <laughs> I've invented matches and I'm like, guys, guys, we, we have we have the solution. So it's just like, OK, I get it's a problem. Um, and it, it's one that I've lived, right? Like I, you know, I, I worked with my parents, financial advisor to, to, to move them over. And, and I saw firsthand for sure onboarding is definitely a problem. And I think we talked about it before as well. And, and it's frustrating because, you know, 
Malik and I work every day on solutions to these problems, and that's part of the technology that we bring. So it's it's tough to hear that that's sort of what they're looking for. But again, I guess not a, not a huge surprise at the end of the day as well. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. Um, you know, I being in, being in my role, I've tried so many different, I would say, fintech platforms, and 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 just the simplicity with which they can you can open an account today. Um, I can totally attest to why advisors want that. You know, it's one tap, two taps, and you can open a new account and you're done. So it's definitely definitely there's a lot of room there for for streamlining that process. I, th- I think that's a good point too, right? And like, you look at these market entrants that are you know more digital first and the fast onboarding. Like you can open up if you wanted a robo account in minutes, right? But you try to get your advisor to help you, you know, bring over your RSPs and your RIFs and your trust accounts, and that's like weeks if you're lucky, right? Um, and it's, and so, you know, I can, I can get their frustration because they see that. And I think part of it too is, you know, the, the pandemic, right? So the pandemic put a huge emphasis on, okay, we have to solve for these problems because people are not coming into the office. So then you get all these point solutions and okay. So people are, you know, trying to automate some of those core processes, but then they're like point solutions. So they're not integrated. So the fact that we saw integration being the number one, I don't think is surprising because we saw so many point solutions come out during the pandemic. Absolutely. And I feel that integration has always been the pain area, right? Because these point solutions, more of them were introduced with the pandemic, but they're not a new concept for that industry, unfortunately. Um, And I think it mostly goes back to the fact that there's just so much legacy infrastructure uh, and it's and um, advisors' roles have been changing for a while now. You have new cohorts of clients come in, new demands. You have, you know, um, in the, uh, companies outside of the industry that are coming in and changing client expectations. And these firms are really trying to keep up and provide the right solutions to their advisors. And the way they're doing it is with these, I guess, what would it, what I would call like little small fixes and patches that they introduce. Um, so I, I definitely agree that that is an issue, but I would like to know from you, you know, like how can firms sort of go on a journey to fixing this, right? Like what do they need to do in order to finally actually get that integration in their system? And, and then I feel integration would lead to streamlining. Yeah. I think that that's pretty logical. I think that that makes sense. And I think you kind of need to step back and think about sort of how they got into the situation, sort of the dynamics that a lot of firms are facing. So, you know, we talk to firms every day, as you know, about their investment management needs. Like that's exactly what the digital wealth platform is for. Um, and, and, and some are in very different stages, right? Some are looking for point solutions. Some are looking for, you know, we really need to like get ahead of where the market is, is, is going. Others are you're playing catch up. Uh, for for what they're trying to do, and and they're having a hard time, and and I'd say the reason for that is because there are different paths that different firms need to take uh, when it comes to trying to get on that trajectory, as you called it, um, and so you step back and you look at why they're on those different tracks. Um, some it's because they just don't have the right business model, right? So they were very transactional. Their advisor businesses were all about. Um, you know what, the advisor is going to come up with uh, some 
stock recommendations or some product recommendations and push them. Others aren't. So, yeah, I think the the tra- the trajectory you're talking about starts with getting aligned on the business model that you really want to serve. Absolutely. And so it it's really interesting because I, I want to go back to a point that you brought up earlier with, with the pandemic um, and the fact that one of the things they're asking for now is streamlining of investment management. Um, and last year, like uh, streamlining investment management was still a priority and it was something that was being asked for, but it certainly was not in the top three. Yeah. Right. And so when I think about it, it's sort of like, well, well what's been the difference and the main difference, of course, has been the fact that there was a pandemic that forced everyone to work from home. And so there were certain pain points that were surfaced, right? That when you were at the office, uh, you had people that you could like, you know, just go pop into their office and fix an issue or you can call someone down and get get in contact with someone very quickly and solve the problem right then and there. But you didn't have those options anymore when you're just at home by yourself in your, you know, little makeshift office. So that really highlighted some of the gaps that were being experienced in that area. And given that you two are very close to this uh, area, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how that can be fixed and what needs to be done. Sure. Did you want to take that one first? Okay. Um, So, you know, it's something that we talk about all the time, like why investment management and and sort of how you get started, right? Is, 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 Is where you're going with that. And... I think, yes, the pandemic certainly contributed to that for a lot of the reasons that you just talked about, right? Like, um, it wasn't something that you could rely on in office IT to help you with. And you couldn't have an operations team that you could just talk to every day, like just go over to their desk. So you had to solve those problems. And especially when you had legacy technology, like you talked about, you know, you saw the the firms that struggled the most start with how do we band-aid the legacy to make it work for people that are remote. But then as the pandemic continued on, I think we saw a couple of things happen. One was the markets started to recover relatively quickly and people's portfolios started to do well. And so you also saw people that were now working from home wanting to get involved in that themselves. And I think, you know, Malik was talking about that customer engagement. And you also saw a trend towards like, huge increase in self-directed investment. And so now firms are trying not just to keep up with how do I get my technology to work in this remote sort of pandemic, but also how do I cater for the fact that fundamentally the value proposition of investment management is changing and the legacy engine that they have just can't be band-aided any further to accommodate for that. If you really want to start a new business model, a new investment management sort of philosophy, you kind of need to really overhaul your system. And that's where, you know, a lot of the firms struggle. It's like, how do I try to get ahead of sort of what the needs are when I have all this stuff that was built for a completely different business model? Right. And I think that is, you know, um, you've really hit it right on the head. And this is something that I've been thinking about myself is that you have these firms that have been around for a very long time, most of them have a lot of legacy infrastructure. And now they're sort of in a new arena with this, you know, new cohort of clients that are coming in. You have 
your existing clients with different needs. So in the last um, session with Drew and Kelly and Marcel, uh, for instance, we spoke about baby boomers and retirement and decumulation, right, which is a very big area and it's emerging and it's only going to get bigger uh, as that cohort sort of enters that phase of their life. So you really do have firms that are struggling right now trying to, uh, I suppose, find that balance between, okay, you know, we have these people that require this and they want to be serviced this way. And then we have these people that have a different set of requirements. So, and then to top it all off, you have these very old systems that don't communicate with each other. So how do you manage that? And how do you even go on a journey to fixing some of those issues? Yeah. That, that's a tough question. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, no, there's no easy answer to that, right? And, and I think you're absolutely right that it is top of mind for any CIO, for, for even for any advisor. It's like, how, how do I operate in this new world? And I think the, the, the difficulty that they face is a fundamental question about value proposition, right? And, and, and you know, Drew and Kelly and, and Marcel have, you know, a, a lot to say about that. And I think they're, they're spot on, which is when you think about the new sort of demographic of client and the fact that, you know, we need to not just focus on accumulation, but decumulation, and more importantly, like, not just what's your cash flow plan, but like what's your financial wellness plan, and the conversation is more about financial wellness, then your systems are antiquated. Like a trading system is not going to help you have a conversation with a client about their financial wellness. So you want to get to goals-based views of portfolios. Well, if you don't really have even an SMA or UMA engine that can help you at least understand investments from a portfolio perspective, let alone from a goal perspective, you have no chance of talking to your client about financial wellness. So I think the, the, the answer to your question of how do firms really get on to the path of like, moving forward with that stuff is, one, be clear about what your, what your value proposition is. If your value proposition is, I am the best equity portfolio manager, be the best equity portfolio manager. But if your value proposition is, I'm here to serve my client's financial wellness, then your systems really need to center around the client and their financial goals and tracking to those financial goals and having that conversation of financial wellness. And when you look at it that way, you just don't have time for Band-Aid solutions, right? Like you just don't have time for, oh, I'm going to introduce these trading enhancements to make trading for the reps easier and, and for the home office to be able to do these really one-off kind of trades. No, no, we're going to focus our time and energy on being able to have a conversation at the household level for the client around whether this is actually the right thing for their financial wellness. Um, and so that's, that's the conversation really firms need to have is, What's our value proposition and are we putting our IT spend in the right place to actually get to true financial wellness? Or are we trying to band-aid a system that caters to something that is a, maybe not the value proposition we want to have? I, I think that, that that's a very good point, Brian. Uh, one, one angle I would add to that is we are talking about client demographics, but we also should be talking about advisor demographics, right? The, the new cohort of advisors they want the coolest tech that's out there. They they don't want to see any of this tra this legacy apps, right? For them, it's I want to give this to my client. I want to give them. I want to engage with them digitally. I want to engage with them through WhatsApp, right? Um, I can't do any of that today. So so to your to your point about 
define your value proposition and provide the technology that's going to meet that value proposition. Um, as advisors move towards more of a financial wellness coach, I think the technology that they're looking for is not just around point solutions for a particular function, but how do you bring all of that together, not just the technology, but also people can collaborate together on a plan for an individual, right? It's typically you have experts from different areas who are going to help you with that. It's not going to be just the advisor who's going to know it all. He's going to bring, he or she's going to bring in the tax planning expert, the philanthropy expert, the estate planning expert, and so ha- and what have you. And they all need to collaborate together, have a single point of view of the client. Now, many organizations don't have that today, right? You can't see what a client has in banking, in small business, in commercial. Like, it's a no-brainer. Right? You got to have that single single point of view for for the entire client advisory team. Yeah, I think that's. I, I love that analogy, and and you're totally right. Like, you do need to think about, like, the if the advisor or, or the firm's value proposition isn't going to change, then your old model probably doesn't work anymore as well, right? Like, you probably can't have, to your point, you know, just an advisor-client relationship. It's 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 a team of people, right? From a from a wellness perspective, and it's funny because I think about that in terms of like healthcare, right? Where we used to have like, like I just don't just go see my doctor, right? Now it's, there's an electronic medical record and, you know, I went to go get like a blood test a while ago and it's like, well, (laughs) I mean, you you get to a certain age and you have to do blood tests. And, um, and, and, and it was interesting because I, like I booked the appointment online, then I got my results and I had a portal. I was like, this is the first time that I, as a consumer of healthcare, feel like I am in control and understand my data. And then. You know, it was like, do you consent to sharing this with the doctor? It's like, oh, I get to choose who I'm going to share this information with. And it's funny because it, it puts you in that mindset of like financial wellness, if we're really talking about financial wellness, is centered around the client. And Malik, to your point, there's going to be a team of people that are going to collaborate, like a tax specialist, a state specialist, all the people you talked about. And at some point, the, the client still needs to be at the center of that. And so they need to have like a client-centric view of all their data. You need to have a client-centric view of all their data and be able to, as you so aptly put it, collaborate on that. And I think, you know, this is where wealth and fintech should really just take a page out of, like, the healthcare industry and just, like, they created standards for how to communicate between health systems. We should create standards for how we communicate between wealth systems. Absolutely. And it's amazing the way you both described that. Uh, Malik, as you were speaking, um, my mind went to uh, sort of a new term that uh, I've tried coining as of late, just because I've had that very idea myself, because, you know, the wealth advisor role is expanding. And what I'm calling it is the partnership ecosystem. Um, And that is, you know, that point where everyone comes and meets. to meet the needs of that client, right? Because you have uh, individuals, again, with they're in different stages of their life. They need different things. They're going to need a team of people, you know, everything from perhaps a trustee to a lawyer to a tax specialist, their investment advisor, of course. Um, and all those people will need to communicate somehow. And how are they going to do that? I can tell you that when I was in the industry, we would often communicate with accountants, for instance, during tax season. And, you know, sometimes it was not a very fun season because, of course, the accountants needed certain sets of documents, but that information was not always conveyed properly. 
And so you would give them something that they perhaps already had or did not need. And then it was really a matter of playing phone tag with each other uh, until, you know, you figured out what they were looking for, what they needed. And then you would go back into your system and figure out what kind of report you could generate for them to meet that need. Um, But if there was a way where, you know, you as the accountant and I as the advisor, we can just log into a particular portal um, and I can push the information that you need to you, it would definitely make, uh, you know, the advisor and their associates' lives easier, that entire team's life easier, really. Um, And it would also be a lot more efficient and quick and it would cause, uh, you know, less frustration on every side because everyone has what they need right away. For sure. I think think you've hit the nail on the head there, right? Like, you know, you've identified that integration was still the number one thing that advisors and firms are asking for. And, you know, it's easy to get stuck in the thought of integration as like, oh, I want single sign-on and I want to get rid of of swivel chair. And and for sure, don't get me wrong, that's, people want that and we need to do that. And that's table stakes. And we talk about like data integration, but it's exactly what, you know, I think you've both described, which is interoperability between firms, between different systems so that an accountant and an advisor can work together for a client because you're 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 like your example is spot on like i recently had conversations with a prospective client on you know they had this slew of reports that they wanted the system to generate and i was like well, why, why do you need all these reports i'm like this is like really like forensic analysis they're like because this is what we have to give to accountants during tax season it's like <laughs> oh Gotcha. Um, I was like, did you ask the accountant what they need? Like, do you want me to just go ask the accountants what their requirements are? And they're like, that would be so much better. I was like, well, that's that's what we should do, right? It's like the accountants and the, and, the, and the technology people and the advisors should get together and figure out here's the standard. And again, I relate that to healthcare, right? They've got the HL7. It's probably out of date now, but like that was the, that was sort of the health tech standard for how to exchange information. And so everybody knows this is what a patient record like looks like. This is what, you know, all that stuff looks like. We don't have that. There's no, like, open wealth concept yet, uh, which I think is desperately needed. Are we starting to talk about open banking? Is that is that where we're going? I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Um Lovely. You you have you have some thoughts on that. We were talking about that. No, I mean open banking is something that I've been very excited about for a long time, um, and I think it. I feel it relates to a lot of what we've said so far, um, Brian. Particularly to your example about you know logging into the portal to view your results. Um, I can relate to that because I remember the first time I was able to log into Life Labs and look at my report, and I was like, Oh yeah, my exactly. god, I don't have to go to the doctor's office to do it, right? I I have it all right here, and then if I feel like you know, there's an issue and I need follow-up, I can. And the amazing thing about that resource as well is that there's education attached to it. So if there's like a particular thing you're concerned about, they have a resource where you can literally, literally like a Google search uh, that tells you what it means when, you know, um, instance, uh, you know, your iron level is at this level or, you know, your red blood cells or whatever it is. And I think when we look at wealth management, that can relate really well as well because there's a lot of um you know terms that clients would be interested in knowing because they're not sure like if you look at your statement for instance you know like how are you calculating this market value right you say my market value is x well how did you get it is it just as of x date is it uh you know is it from the beginning of the month the end of the month like uh, unless it says as of date which 
a lot of them do, but there are still other numbers in there that they would have questions about, right? Yeah. Um, like, for instance, if my dividend is, I, I don't know, $200, well, how did that $200 come out to be? Of course, it's whatever was declared times your shares, but like, I may not know what my shares are, right? So if there's a way for me to like be able to even... And there might be people out there who don't know that formula, right? Sure. Which is also very possible. I think we here take it for granted that, you know, all these things are simple and logical. But um, there's people out there who have focuses on other priorities in life and they're not as aware uh, of their um, financial side of their life. Um, and so for them to have a resource that would explain different terminology and help them walk through their statement would be very beneficial and it would definitely help them be more engaged uh, with their finances as well. For sure. And it gets back to exactly, you know, what we started with was is like, how does an advisor have a conversation with their client, not about alpha and beta because a client's not going to talk to you about that. They're not going to talk about like, oh, what benchmark did you use? And, and, and <laughs> what's the difference between my time weighted and money weighted performance? Like nobody's going to ask that. The, the conversation the advisor is struggling to have with the client is, is like, are you going to be okay in retirement? Here's 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 how your plan's going to work, right? And it's not just about here's the performance to your point, and it's not just about throwing stats right at the client of yeah here log on to the portal and you can see all the stats. It's how do you help the advisor have that conversation? I think that's what we got out of the VOA is advisors want the technology to be able to have that conversation in a much more meaningful way with their clients. Absolutely. And, you know, we were just touching on open banking, but open banking is what would yeah. make these uh, conversations a lot more engaging and meaningful, right? Because yeah. you can have information from various accounts now. Yeah. And Malik, I see this has you very excited. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was going to touch on you know, what, what, what I said earlier around um, the advisors have spending time with their clients, educating them on the digital experience and what they can and cannot do. Um, it may feel like an investment of time and I feel like a waste of time to the advisor, but but the results are clear. There's definitely value that they see in it. And it's it's really, you know, from from my experience, it's the cohort of advisors who are who are more tech savvy are going to who are going to take this time and effort put into to put in and educate their clients, teach them what they can and cannot do so that eventually they're going to start having more higher value conversations rather than around how did I do? You know, how is my portfolio doing? Can you send this document to my accountant? Like those conversations are going to go away, right? Can you send this document to my accountant? That should not be a conversation. That should be a one tap, right? One, one tap from the advisor's perspective and done. So, so I definitely think that uh, there, there is a lot of room there for, for advisors to, to use more digital technology and, and educate their clients. Absolutely. Um, now, I think the one thing that we've been sort of hopping um, back and forth on and we're, and we're trying to get to, um, but what's been sort of stuck in my mind is platformization. <laughs> I was wondering if that word was going to come up. Because <laughs> all of these ideas sort of come back there, right? Yeah. Like you, you want everything integrated. Yeah. You want that open, open finance piece of it so that all the information is collated in one place. Uh, you want things to be seamless and, you know, the transitions to be very smooth, uh, you know, passage of data to be interrupt, uh, uninterrupted. 
And the way you do that, and I very briefly touched on this with Drew during the last podcast, but um, I think you guys are really good folks to have this conversation with, is platformization. We know that firms want to get there. They're all focusing on having these integrated ecosystems now, but they're still not there. Yeah. And it's it's a conversation that we've been having for a while. So one, you know, what is the state of the industry as of right now? And how do we get to the point that we need to get to for platformization? So maybe I'll start by demystifying that wonderful term, platformization, um, which is a term I love, but um, not everybody gets it. So platformization really is the taking of the financial advice and investment management life cycle and breaking it down to a platform. And so rather than look at, I have my portfolio management system, I've got my financial planning system, I've got my CRM, it's I have a platform that helps me deliver advice and manage assets for my client. And these are the different capabilities that are surfaced through that platform into these different experiences so that an advisor can interact with it, a, an operator can operate on it, a portfolio manager can manage on it, and a client can see their assets on it. And it's that concept of don't think of it as siloed systems. Think of it as a platform that goes across a life cycle with different experiences. That's the holy grail of platformization. The benefits of that is, you know, you're not stuck with specific solutions. It should be open. So, you know what? I get, I get the platform, but I have this one secret sauce, which is how I deliver financial plans. Great. Integrate that into the platform because the data's there. The connection points are there. That's that holy grail of platformization. So your question is, like, what is the state of platformization? With the move in business model away from your sort of traditional transactional business to more fee-based, certainly a huge growth in fee-based, certainly a push towards um, a combination of outsourcing investments management from just the advisor to maybe leveraging you know, a central or even third-party management for some of the book. Um, you're seeing you know, these systems that were just, you know, I've got my book of record, I've got my trading, and that's it now being integrated into platforms. Some firms are trying to create their platforms. Some are using the Digital Wealth Platform, of course, from CGI, can't not say that. But, um, uh, but, but we're seeing certainly more and more firms take a more integrated approach, which is along that first path of platformization. So I think the state is people get it. People get the idea of platformization. People are at various stages of implementing it in terms of integrating their different pieces. I say nobody really is at the stage where they've got the integrated piece and they're really now trying to lead the industry in terms of creating interoperable standards. I don't think we're quite there yet. I think people are still trying to get their houses in order. Yeah, that, 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 that's an excellent point, Brian. I think um, the, the other angle... That, that we have seen often is instead of firms trying to build it out on their own, they take sort of a much broader solution and then build around build a platform around it, whether that's your CRM is your center, depending on your business model, or whether that's your financial or well, financial wellness planning uh, platform, and, and really, I would say, product and making it into a platform. That's the other approach that 
that some firms have taken uh, with varying degrees of success. And I would say uh, the States is much further ahead in, in that platformization journey than, than we are here in Canada. We have, we have long ways to go. I think, you know, to your point, to your question about where we are and, what, and you know, to me, it's why we aren't there. It's the, just the will to do it. Really, it, it, to me, that's that's what it is. It's it's all there. The solutions are there. It's it's the will to will to really do it, for sure. Now, I do wonder: is part of the hesitancy that you have again all that legacy infrastructure, and so uh, trying to rip it out and put in something new and fancy? I imagine there's risk there. Yeah, there's tons of risk, right? But I think that's. That's a bit of a false dichotomy, right? It's not band-aid the, the legacy stuff or rip it out and do something completely new and different. There is an evolutionary path, right? And I think a lot of firms maybe get scared because they only see those two options. It's like, well, I can either live with and find a way to work with what I have or spend so much money and basically redo everything from scratch. It's like there's definitely a middle ground there, right? We work with firms all the time on that. And that that is one of the benefits that people forget of platformization is because it's not a point solution, there's no starting and ending point, right, for where you start. You, you should tackle the problem that is most sort of holding you back from a business perspective. In some cases, that's going to be you need to really get behind sleeve-based accounting from a portfolio management perspective. That's a lot of what we help firms with. And, and that's a great place to start. You don't really need to change your custody provider or your custody platform. You don't need to change financial planning for that. You just need to add a layer that starts as your integration point, right? So for sure, there's huge risk in trying to go all or nothing. But that's why a platform is a good way to look at different options for evolution into that. And I think that's that's really where the market is starting to figure it out. It's like, oh, I don't I don't have to start with replacing CRM. I don't have to start with replacing portfolio management. No, no. Start with what is your key business driver and start using that on the platform. Yeah, I, I was I would have thought there's definitely risk in in ripping it out and but but there's risk in any project. Um, and and the converse of that is the risk is that are you going to be able to retain your advisors with your legacy technology? <laughs> well, I think we've uh, seen that there's been, you know, uh, they're calling it the great resignation yeah, for yeah. Uh, for uh, just everyday employees. But I think there's, you know, some truth to that or a reshuffling, uh, you can call it that as well. Within the wealth industry, we're seeing that there are firms that, you know, are losing a fair number of advisors uh, who are choosing to go independent uh, for various reasons or choosing to select other firms. Um, and I'm sure the technology is a big part of it, right? Because they're seeing their book change. They're seeing the demographics that they serve change, but they still have the same technology to work with. So how do you then you know, if you're an advisor, try to make that work. And sometimes I suppose it could be very frustrating where you just throw your hands up and say, okay, well, you know what, I'm just going to go and try something else. Um, look for a cool, fancy new fintech out there, right? They'll just give me everything I need in a box, a PM in a box uh, solution, as it's being called, uh, so that everything's being taken care of. And I know I have the latest technology. And um, I think taking a, a modular approach to building technologies uh, is also a 
good way of doing it because then you can add different pieces as you need to, but you have the proper solid foundation uh, that's been built to accommodate uh, all those other functionalities that might come on board later. Um, but I do sort of want to uh, speak a bit about that middle ground that you spoke of, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's important uh, for everyone to be aware of the fact that it's not really, a, you know, take it or leave it type of situation. There, There is a way to do it in steps. So at some point you can phase out the legacy infrastructure or sometimes it could stay behind the scenes and fuel this new platform that that the company, uh, in, you know, uh, implements across their firm. For sure. And. And it's funny because this is when I really feel for advisors, right? And and when the power of the voice of advisor comes out, because at the end of the day, the advisor is really beholden to the firm that they work with and their their ability to provide technology, right? And that's why the voice of advisor is so, is so important because it's not like an advisor can just say, you know what, I'm going to go completely independent and provide my own IT. You're going to need, you know, at, at best you're going to need, um, you know, somewhere like in the States where they've got, you know, the RIAs uh, and the platforms for that, we don't really have that kind of setup here in Canada. So your choices are, are a little limited from an advisor's perspective. Um, and that's where, you know, to Malik's point, the firms that are going to win are going to be the ones that can cater for the business models. But, you know, some people get stuck in that perspective of, well, I, I just have to be able to cater for every single possible advisor out there. It's like, well, you're never going to be everything to all people, right? And that's why it always goes back to what kind of advisor journey do you want to enable and what kind of customer service and c- client offering do you want to offer? Because the advisors are telling you what they need to be able to offer that kind of offering. And, and so, you know, it, you go back to that middle ground. And the middle ground comes from what do I offer to the advisors to be able to give them that engagement with the client that they want um, and that we want them to have with the client versus I'm going to cater to the loudest team out there because they do something very specific. And, And that's where you see the strategy really come to light very nicely for firms that are saying, this is the path we're on. This is the journey we're on. This is how we see advice taking shape in the market. These are the kind of advisors we want to support, and we're going to put all of our time and energy and investment into supporting advisors to be successful in that model. And so if you're going to pretend to be like a stock picker and pick stocks all day, that isn't necessarily the advisor that the firm wants to support. But if, you, if you're thinking about how you can best blend your own management style with other, you know, let's say third-party models or or home office models, and you want to talk about this in a goal-specific context, and you want to talk about this in terms of decumulation and its financial impact, okay, that's the kind of advisor we want you to be. Let's invest in that. And it starts with, okay, our biggest need there is to help you get a view of the client from an investment perspective. Start there. Absolutely. Um, I'm sorry, I was just laughing. You said pretend to be a stock picker. <laughs> well, I mean, if, I mean, if you're that great of a stock picker, then you'd be a portfolio manager for many, many, many people. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, you know, that's really interesting. And uh, let's shift back a bit to the advisor. Yeah. So we know what they want. 
right? Um, we have an idea of how firms can get there. Obviously, it's a difficult journey, but a journey that they are taking. Um, so for, for advisors, we know that their role is changing. Uh, you know, they're shifting to providing more holistic services. Uh, they're really broadening out. And Brian, you earlier mentioned uh, financial wellness, and that is an area that's definitely getting a lot of traction. Um, even in the previous episode, we touched on this, um, you know, ab about the changing role of the advisor to now becoming, they now want to call themselves wealth advisors because you can understand that, you know, you might you may be shortchanging yourself a bit if you just call yourself a financial advisor or just an investment manager, because the reality is advisors now are doing so much more than just financial planning sure. or investment management. Right. So uh, wealth advisor is sort of the perfect title because it encompasses all those different activities uh, that take place. And so they're they're changing. They have a need for these different technologies. We've seen that there has been a product evolution that's occurred, right? You mentioned fee-based. So we that's been a product evolution as well because we started off with very traditional uh, accounts that were commission-based. It was all the stock pickers uh, that were involved. And then it moved to fee-based and discretionary and modeled portfolios. Um, and that evolution has helped the advisors in this mission to do more for their clients, right? And to meet all those goals. Because if you can now be a, let's say, a model author where you just, you create the model and then someone else takes care of all the execution for it, right? Um, so for instance, if I'm a model author, I, this is my global equity model. Um, I might decide to change the stock when I do. I give the instructions, hey, this model is now changing. And the team that's executing it, they'll go into every account that holds that model and they'll make that change across. It saves a lot of time on the advisors end because now they can go and focus more time on all these other activities that are being demanded of them. Um, so w when I think about that product evolution and platformization, um, and then the fact that how firms are trying to cater to it, and one of the things that they're trying to currently introduce again is this next best action to help advisors on that journey, right? Because it's so much easier if you think about it, if a list is generated for you in the morning to say, hey, these are the 10 advisors that you need to focus on today, right? Because they have these needs. And then you can really focus your energy on it instead of you having to go through, you know, your various files that you have um, and look for the information that you need and then try to figure out who you contact first and who you contact after that. Um, it can be, it's a very manual process and it's a very time consuming process. To, so to have those insights be surfaced for you and then just be given sort of a task list almost for the day, uh, you know, that's going to have a big impact. So Malik, do you, uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. So, so you know, NBA, it's, it's, it's been thrown around for quite a few years now. Uh, next best action. Uh, it's it's worthwhile defining defining what that best stands for and who is that action for. Um, there might be a misperception that you know the next best action is in the best interest of the advisor, but really it should be in the best interest of the client. Like that's that's what it's supposed to be. It's the next best action. What is in the best interest of the client? To your point about the industry moving from product based to more advice. And it's just purely holistic advice, right? It's not just a investment management advice. To to really get the most value out of next best action, you need 
a 360 degree view of the client, right? What does the client have besides these wealth accounts? What are their assets? What are their liabilities? Uh, bring those all together. Not only that, bring about clients' interests, their engagement across all the different, the entire data set. Bring it all together, and then you're, you're going to see the magic of next best action, which is what is the next best thing that I need to do for this client? Is this client going to go away? Is, is the client at a high risk of um, going to somebody else? My next best action uh, insights are going to tell me that. They're going to tell me that they're going to use that data from my transaction history, from my engagement with CRM. If I'm checking my accounts 10 times a day versus somebody who's only going to check one time a day, or I'm looking at my transaction history and I see a lot of uh, assets leaving the accounts, those are the kind of things that um, next best action or NBA can surface. It's so that's that's one piece purely from the perspective of I would say the client. Um, there's also you know the next best action from the perspective of just keeping up with the day to day. So do I need to um, go in and redock this client? Do I need to go in and check the client's information, the KYC process that advisors have to do every now and then? It's it's very simple today. It's a little bit proactive, but it could be a lot more proactive or the advisor is not hunting for the information, right? It's provided to them. Uh, traditionally, the advisors are, to your point, Labna, they're going into these five or 10 different things, putting all of them to, together in their head and figuring out what is the next thing I should do for this client? Instead, uh, machine learning and AI can surface that for, for the advisor today. And I think that's where the value for the wealth advisor is, is going to come from. I think that's such a good way to articulate that, Malik, right, is, is there's, there's always this misconception out there, I think, and it comes from a place of maybe mistrust. It's like, I'm not going to trust uh, an AI or a machine to tell me how to do my job, but I think you're, you're spot on that that's not at all what Next Best Action is for, right? It's not there to replace the advisor. Like, the whole premise of NBA believes in the value of the advisor for the client. And it's it's a key word that you used, Lubna, which is time. It's about making time for the advisor to focus on the right areas, have insights so that they can be better prepared for the conversations that they want to have. So I think that's that's a really important piece is is like successful next best actions or NBA implementations don't try to replace the advisor. Don't try to replace what the advisor necessarily does, but more tries to provide them, I think, as you said it, Malik, with insights that can help them really save time in their engagement with their clients. Absolutely. And there's something that you both mentioned, which is AI and ML, so artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, and Next Best Action or NBA, they all three of them go hand in hand, right? So if a firm is on this journey towards Next Best Action and having that for their, their advisors, and you know, this was one of the things that I was surprised by in the survey, actually, is that there were um, close to, I believe, around 30% of advisors who said that they were using Next Best Action today. Now, uh, I'm sure it's like a on a much, much smaller scale and it's very pointed at a particular context, but I did find that fascinating. And we saw that there's an appetite for this, right? Um, I feel that, and 
I myself am guilty of this, thinking that advisors don't want all these new technologies sometimes. <laughs> Maybe a symptom for my time in the industry. But it's really fascinating because they're really starting to embrace technology, right? And they're seeing the value of it. I think, again, the you know pandemic forced everyone to engage with technology. Um, and now they're seeing the benefits of technology. And so they want more of it. And so when we look at AI and ML, for instance, to reach next best action, I'm curious, like, where, how do you start this journey to get next best action? What what do you need to have in order to sort of, and I understand it's a bit of a loaded question because there's so much here, but, you know, I, I am curious, like, if, if a firm decides tomorrow, hey, I want to introduce next best action for my advisors, what do I do? Is there, like, a little path that uh, they can go on? I think... 15 years ago, we would have said, you need to get all the data into a data lake and start with start with cleaning up your data. And then I think we realized after you created a data lake that you had a data lake and you didn't have AI or ML at all. <laughs> um, and, 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 and realistically, where you need to start is those little pointed use cases that you talked about, right? For some, like we, you know, there's a very successful firm out there that just took the idea of how do I help advisors have an engaging conversation with their client about reacting to market news? So whenever there's a market event, the advisor gets an alert, there's a list of clients and a pre-canned script relative to their client's portfolio that they can use to engage with their clients. That is an application of big data, machine learning, and artificial intelligence, right? So you're using all those three technologies to deliver a next best action for the advisor to use for the client. That's where you start. You start with understanding how can you inject insights into a use case that the advisor uses every day and then figure out what data do you need in order to make that successful. And the key is don't assume it's going to be perfect. That's where machine learning comes in. The whole premise is that you're going to get outputs Right? You're going to find out from the advisor whether the recommendation was right or wrong. Like the whole key to machine learning is something to tell the model whether it was right or was wrong so it can learn. That's the learning part. So you need to build in some sort of feedback loop for the system. That's how you get started. Right. It's yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, historically the the idea has been let's look at what technology can do for us let's uh, rather than what is the problem am i going to try to what what is the problem i'm trying to solve for and, and starting with the advisor journey and their and their their use cases i think it's a it's a it is the right place to start absolutely right well it sounds to me like successful next next best action is just a harmony between human and machine right you sort of have the human tell the machine yes this is right or no this is wrong and then the machine learns and gets better and then helps the human do their job much more efficiently. I mean, th that kind of sounds <laughs> like, you know, like some sort of cyborg uh, advisor. But I mean, <laughs> kind of, right? Like, like the idea is, yes, it, it's not to replace the advisor. It's to provide insights for an advisor so that they can do their job. But then for the advisor to be able to give feedback to say that was good or that was not good. That was not the result. Or the client did not get a better wellness because of this action. So stop recommending that. that. Like there has to be learning in there for one, any advisor to trust it, and two, for any 
client to actually benefit from it. Absolutely. It, yeah, that is really interesting. But, um, I mean, a cyborg advisor would be fascinating <laughs> to have, right? <laughs> I mean, Can you're you appealing to the, to the sci-fi <laughs> geek here, absolutely. Um, no, th- that's all really great. And it, it's definitely what's needed for this next evolution that's happening, right, in the, in the marketplace with the changing role advisors. And then, again, with these two main cohorts that we're going to have that will have very different set of needs. Um, we discussed in the last episode and we touched on it in this one as well, but you're going to have your accumulators and you're going to have your decumulators. And they're both going to be a fair bit of work and they're both obviously going to demand a certain amount of attention and customization, personalization and all that good stuff. And it's how do you deliver that? Because you still have, you know, only that set amount of time in your day still. Um, the advisor's day is they're not gaining more hours in any way whatsoever. They still have all the same resources for the most part, same capacity, same length of time. But now they just have you know, two very distinct groups to service. To service. And um, that, I feel, is really where things like NBA will help because they'll take care uh, of a lot of the little manual work that needs to be done. And obviously, the introduction of things like platformization and having everything integrated and streamlined so that you're not uh, double-keying the same thing over and over into different systems. And, you know, just the idea that if you have open banking, their information can flow, If, of course, with the client's appropriate consent and uh, right privacy, but it can flow from like one account into another. So if they want to share with me information from, let's say they have some account, um, some assets in, an, in a direct brokerage account and they want to share something with me, right? They can say, hey, give my advisor access to this while they build out my financial plan, for instance, right? Or while they build out my cash flow um, so that I know how much I can take out um, for the next couple of years, you know, I want these assets to be put into that assumption so that it's a more accurate picture. And that can be done seamlessly because these, uh, you know, thankfully for open finance, which we hope will become a lot more prevalent in the marketplace. It's gaining a lot of traction, but of course there's uh, regulatory hurdles um, and our regulators keep us safe. So we want them to be able to do their job appropriately but, you know, all of these things are very exciting and they're definitely going to make that uh, the advisor's life easier and also the client's life a lot more, make it so that they get a lot more meaningful information out of these interactions that they have. For sure. And and it's, it's funny because as you say that, you know, what, what comes to mind is, you know, we, we often talk about advisors and how they can better serve clients. But we, we sometimes forget that, you know, and I think you talked about this, Malik, is that client needs and client expectations are also changing, right? Like, you know, clients don't expect to just give all their money to an advisor, hope for the best, and retire one day, right? Like, that's, people have different journeys in life. People are now more involved because of technology. Like, people people ask the questions of, should I be investing in crypto? And people have their own trading accounts and from a self-directed perspective. They have access to the same market news, like, investors and, and clients are now more savvy and more technology enabled. So in addition to, you know, the advisor, yes, now needing to change their value, value proposition, they also need to cater for the fact that the engagement that they're having with their client is fundamentally different as well. Like the way the advice, like my parents' advisor used to talk with my parents 
is very different than the conversations I have with my own advisor, right? Just because I live a very different life than my parents did and <laughs> my needs are different and I am technology savvy and I do self-directed and all those other things. And and that's that's the nature of you know, evolution and progress is 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 that that job needs to change from that perspective. And and so we you know we we you know t- we started talking about you know the the advisor what they need you know they needed uh, things to be streamlined they needed things to be integrated and and it always circles back to time for the advisor but also the tools they need to engage with clients in the way that they need to be engaged not like if anybody's gonna take anything away from today it's that there's a lots of things changing at once right? and there's no one solution but what is abundantly clear is that trying to take your legacy systems and band-aid them is not going to cut it. And your advisors are telling you that, right? You can't just streamline individual point things. You need an integration approach that has a vision in mind for how you're going to have interaction with clients at the end of the day. Absolutely. And I think this sort of uh, ties in with Malik's surprise from the, mm-hmm. the survey, and that is clients wanting digital engagements, right? Um, so they're, it, again, it's a new era. They, they want to be able to communicate with their advisor sort of whenever. Um, I was actually speaking with someone the other day and they were talking about the idea of like having an Instagram live feed for, for clients, right? Um, imagine at like 7 p.m. you go live for an hour and you tell your clients, hey, I'm going to be live on my Instagram account. If you have any questions or you want to interact, come on by. And it's really... It also sort of helps create a community, right? And you're like, oh, that's my advisor and this is their Instagram page and I'm a part of this group. And you have people like, you know, sharing different tips and getting to know each other. Um, I know my lawyer actually had started something similar to that, trying to create that community engagement, actually, Malik, through a WhatsApp group. So a bunch of us just got added to a WhatsApp group so that we could get to know each other and, you know, our lawyer can sort of... um, let us know what kind of services he, he was providing. He was really breaking away from his law firm and going separate, which some advisors are as well. And it's like, hey, this is how you keep track with me. A- absolutely. Uh, you know, you mentioned Instagram. You go on YouTube, you'll find so many advisors who are really building a very, very excellent, I would say, engagement with 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 their subscribers. Um, and, and you know, some of these big firms the advisors are very, very likely shackled by by their compliance teams on what they can and cannot say and do. But 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 going back to client engagement, that's that's one way of building engagement is is to be transparent, share your expertise, right? Go out there, go market yourself on 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 YouTube, on Instagram, on social media. But the other piece is really when a client wants to engage with the advisor give them the options to do, give them the technology tools to do that. As a client, I want to engage with my advisor through chat, through text message, through WhatsApp. Um, when I log into the portal, I want to ask a question. You know, I want to ask a question in context of what I'm seeing. Can I do that today? No, I don't think so. But, but that's, that's, the, that's the kind of experiences that clients want, is they want that I want to know about something in the context, in the right context, and and that's hard to do. Context is very important, especially as as advisors become more of a 
more holistic wealth coach, that context becomes very, very important. First, you're managing just investments, but now it's your entire, honestly, your, your financial life. Uh, so so there, there are many, and by the way, there are, there are tools available for, for all of these engagements today, but it, it's still point solutions, and it's still, still firms need to get on that platformization journey to bring it all together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's there are so many point solutions out there, which yeah. which is why I was like, why are we talking about automating these things? There's tons of point solutions. The integration one is the is the key one for sure. No, absolutely. And you know, Malik, to your point, I I do believe that you have advisors who want to be able to go out and have these different ways to engage with their clients, but again, you know, there's a fair bit of red tape with some of these large corporations. Um, and so they can't do it. Um, I I obviously understand the firm's position because they have to worry about risk, of course, and compliance. Um, but I think it is time that we realize that, you know, we are sort of in this new era um, and digital is, that's where everyone's living for the most part, right? Like even... People like um, who you wouldn't think would be online are actually online. They're getting their news from Facebook, <laughs> right? Um, so firms and advisors will need to find that, that balance between how advisors can be online more so they can engage with their clients when their clients want it. You brought up the portal, and that's a really good starting point, right? Um, because the portal is something that is sponsored for, by the firm. It is secure. It's safe. But there can be so many uses for it. And we saw in our survey that the advisors who do use the portal tend to say they're more efficient, right? Um, because they're empowering their clients to self-serve, for instance. So if, you, if a client's curious about, hey, you know, how many Facebook shares do I have? They don't really need to pick up the phone and call you. They can say, well, just log into my portal and check. For right? sure. For sure. But there, there is one thing that did come out pretty loud and clear, though, in that in that voice of the advisor, which is, and I'm glad to see it, data privacy and security is a top concern, right? When they when they look at that, and um, and and um, you know when we when we look at engagement, for sure they want the customer engagement. Like that was loud and clear. They want they want tools for customer engagement, and it's how do they do that? in a way that is compliant, certainly from a compliance perspective, but also helps ensure that, you know, their clients are getting their data privacy needs met and that there's security behind that. Um, you know, so when we talk about sort of from a technology perspective, there's tons of solutions out there and there's tons of ways to make sure that that's private and secure. But when you layer on privacy and security on top of, trying to keep things integrated, that's where a lot of firms, you know, run into trouble. It's like, how do I cater for client engagement, allow for compliant discussions over social media or whatever channels, and, you know, ensure the data and privacy all at the same time? And, and, and that's why the conversation can't be about point solutions around client engagement. It has to be around what are the things that are important to us? The channels, the options, the security, the privacy, and the integration with the rest of our ecosystem. Absolutely. Um, what I will point out is that we've seen in previous years that data and privacy have always been a big concern, obviously, as people move on digitally. But the good news is that even though it's still, uh, you know, on the list of high concerns, like it's dropped yeah. in, in ra rating, right, which is great because 
that tells me that advisors do feel more confident being online. So they feel like their firms have done a good job so far, right? And in ensuring that everything is protected and that they have the trust of the client and advisor so that clients can go on and feel comfortable sharing their information, right? And advisors can go on there and be able to send um, confidential client information to the client um, and know that, okay, I don't have to worry about the security aspect of it. So seeing that trend from it, you know, being a very high concern to still being a, a concern, but just a low, at a lower priority is great. It tells us that firms are doing the right things yeah. in helping uh, ensure the privacy for clients. For sure. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about the portal because uh, that's something that we've mentioned here a few times now. So we, we know that firms, pretty much every firm has a portal. Um, the issue with the portal, as with most technology that some of these firms have, is that they're old, unfortunately, right? So they, they, they don't do all the cool things that you would expect them to do. Um, so firms really are starting to prioritize the portal more. Uh, that, that's something that I've seen in the industry and something that makes me happy because they know that, okay, clients are spending more time here and advisors want to spend more time here. And now we need to actually have some upgrades and make it so that it's a good experience and so that the portal is intuitive, right? I don't want to have to go and be searching a bunch of different tabs. For instance, look for my market value or my account balances. That's something that should be right there for me and just an easy click away. Malik, I feel like you have some really interesting thoughts on this. Absolutely. I, when, I, when I think about, you know, um, digital interactions, we've had online banking for, what, about 20 years now? Um, and when you think about client portal for investors in the survey, it's still 98% of advisors have client portals. Still, there's 2% who don't have a client portal. That shocks me, right? That shocks me in today's day and age that you, you can't provide a client portal for your clients. That's, that's just yeah, incredible. Um, you know, in terms of when you look at the experience, uh, going back to our conversations around platformization and wealth advisor and the 360-degree view, uh, let's face it, in Canada, most clients bank with at least one of the big big firms and they have more than one, typically more than one relationship or one product with, with the institution. How many times can you actually go in and see all of your products together? As a client, you can do it at many places, but your advisor still doesn't have the same view. So even though I, as a client, have an okay-ish client portal, I can still only see things. I cannot really do a lot of actions, right? Transferring money between two accounts in the same institution, it still goes through an archaic payment cycle, as an example. Um, the client doesn't need to know that, doesn't want to know that. They just want their money moved to an account so they can start trading right away, as an example. It's a very simple example, but you have to teach the client that if you want to do that, there is a method to do that and have those journeys embedded within the application so that the client doesn't have to call the advisor and say, I want to transfer money to this account so I can start trading, or vice versa. I want to transfer money to you so you can start trading, right? Um, those are simple examples, but but many firms are still far behind in that money movement journey. That That's one example of it. The other example is um, as clients, as advisors are moving more, again, towards being a wealth coach, they want to, clients will want, and, and some firms are doing this already, they want to see their live plan, right? I've created a financial plan. I want to see how I'm, how I'm doing today. I don't want to be seeing a plan that was created six years ago or six months ago. Tell me how I'm doing today. 
you know, especially today in today's extremely volatile markets, you know, some clients need that. They need that assurance that they're still going to meet their goals. So, so that's that's another aspect of it. And then when you start to think about the the use case you mentioned around sharing with my accountant, as a client, when I go into a portal, I, I should be able to share with one touch. And it's there. It's today it's there. Many firms have done it, the ability to share and collaborate documents with um, with their with their partners. And I think that's you know, it's funny because we still use the term portal, but that's that's exactly why. It's like that is such the wrong term to be using, right? It's it's to your to your comment earlier, it's a channel. And that's what you're describing is like what customers want is a channel to have the same kind of engagement and conversation they have with their advisor, but through a different channel, not a static portal where they're consuming information. People aren't consumers of information. They are engaging with that information. And, and your, like the financial plan is a great example. It's like how many times have some, I, you know, I sat through a financial plan to receive a document that doesn't get updated, that has no relevance to me a month later. Right, so for sure, tracking to goals and tracking to plan needs to be on that portal. Absolutely, and I would think co-browsing yeah. would be really interesting, especially when you're uh, creating a financial plan, for instance, um, because you don't want to have to go into your advisor's office time after time to make like little tweaks and updates or have a phone conversation. Imagine if you can both log on and just look at the same screen. And you can see real time as the advisor, you know, inputs certain assumptions or uh, certain answers for you. And you can correct them right on the spot if you feel like something's not right or perhaps you need an explanation for something and they can provide it to you right then then and there instead of, you know, you guys having to email back and forth or play phone tag or meet in person. So when it when it comes to the portal and co-browsing, you you both mentioned financial planning, which is really interesting because um, in the last episode, it's also something that we touched on. Um, and Brian, you just touched on it right now, and that's tracking. Tracking is really the key piece here to keeping clients engaged. Because, again, you brought up having to look at a piece of paper that's irrelevant a week from now. Well, imagine having like, you know, 50 pieces of paper that's meant to be your financial plan and really it becomes like relevant 30 years down the road, right? Um, today, it's just like a projection for your retirement and you're in your 30s or your 40s and you're not thinking about retirement. You might not retire ever because, you know, you might just work part-time. You don't want to retire. So having and having plans that are more relevant, that are more customized and that are meaningful to you right now, right? And that are easy and simple to follow. It could be a one-pager or a two-pager, so that you don't feel like, oh, what am I looking at? Yeah. Like this, like, it, I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. For sure. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny because I think about retirement all the time. I want to know when I can retire. <laughs> I, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> like, can I retire now? No, yeah. I can't retire now. But, but, that, you know, but that's what I expect to see in a, in a web channel, right, is don't don't show me the financial plan that showed me pre- retiring at 70 and what that view was last month can i retire at 69 can i retire at 68 can i retire at 72 those are the questions that i'm going to ask on a daily basis because that's what i wake up asking myself is when can i retire right so like that's 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 the difference between a portal and true engagement from that pers- perspective 
and I, and I was going to add, sorry, uh, that you know, next best action NBA plays a really crucial role there, right? It's you're surfacing, you could surface insights directly to the client uh, with the advisor's consent. You know, if I'm not on track, what is it that I need to do? What are some of the scenarios that could play out? And that's you, you don't really need a whole lot more data than you, what you already have to to do that. No, that that makes a lot of sense, and I think that sort of wraps it all up, right? It brings it all t- together. Advisors want integration and streamlining. Um, that can happen with platformization, and then once you're in platformization, uh, with the advisors expanding role, they need NBA. Uh, or next best action, which will be a part of that ecosystem of your technologies. And then, of course, you have artificial intelligence and machine learning that help feed that next best action tool so that it gives you the appropriate responses and responses that are suitable for clients. Um, And then you have the client portal that's going to help bring it all, bring the entire thing together with advisor and client interactions. And I think that is a perfect place to end this. Do you guys have any last thoughts that you would like to share? Um, no, I think that's a, that's a great summary. And again, it you know it's it's not a question. You know, I think Malik, you said this. It's not a question of what technology can do for the advisor, but rather what is the advisor doing that can technology can help them save time and better engage with their clients on. And it all starts with what is your value proposition and what is the business model you want to have, and then technology can help with that. I completely agree with that. I think um, we we tend to, humans tend to undervalue our time and what we pay attention to. And I think the value of advice and advisors is only going to increase over time. Doesn't matter how much technology you have, uh, over time, you know, the advice is going to get complex and, and, and richer for, for the clients. So the advisor is here to stay and technology is here to help them. Yeah, the advisor is not going anywhere. Exactly. They're, they're vital to this entire process. Well... Thank you to you both for being here. I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. It was very insightful. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I look forward to having you both back. Same here. Right, perfect.